0: Worldwide, cardiovascular disease affects the lives of hundreds of millions. Dedicated cardio nerds everywhere are working hard to fight this global
1: epidemic. These are their stories. Welcome back nerds. Excuse my voice, I just did a lot of karaoke at ACC 2023, but thanks for joining us for another episode in our brief series on digital health and cardiology. This is a collaborative effort with Corey Health and supported through an ACC chapter grant. As we have all seen, there has been a rapid expansion and utilization of digital health tools in cardiology, but how do we successfully create these tools? Do you have a digital health idea that could transform how we practice cardiology and be absolutely disruptive, but don't know how to start or where to start? Well, then today's episode is just for you. Join us as we learn tips from accomplished digital health innovators on this episode. But first, let's welcome our digital health series co-chairs. Thanks, Dan. My
2: name is Karen Desai, and I'm General Cardiology Faculty at Johns Hopkins and Assistant Program Director of the Bayview Medical Residency at Johns Hopkins Bayview. I'm joined today by my series co-chair and a prolific digital health innovator herself, Dr. Nina Isakadze, currently an EP Fellow at Johns Hopkins.
3: Thanks, Karen. I want to take a moment to introduce our experts. First, we have Dr. David Cho. Dr. David Cho is a general cardiologist and assistant clinical professor within the UCLA Health System, where he also completed his internal medicine residency and cardiovascular disease fellowship. In addition to being a cardiologist, Dr. Cho's educational background includes a master's of business administration at the Fletcher School at Tufts University. Dr. Cho is also chair of the ACC Healthcare Innovation Council, helping lead the college's effort to promote health technology innovation. Welcome to the Cardio Earth podcast, Dr. Cho.
0: Thank you all for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I'm a big fan of the podcast and I'm very excited to contribute in any way that I can. And I look forward to a healthy and lively discussion.
2: And next, I have the honor of introducing Dr. Francoise Marvel which is a special introduction for all of us. Dr. Marvel completed her internal medicine residency at Johns Hopkins Bayview Medical Center, where she was actually my senior resident on my very first shift as a resident, and also my chief resident. She then went on to complete her cardiology fellowship at Johns Hopkins Hospital, and is now faculty at Hopkins. While in residency, Dr. Marvel co-founded Corey Health, which is a powerful patient-centered platform that allows patients to take an active role in their cardiovascular health. Also while in residency and fellowship, Dr. Marvel led the MyCore trial that assessed the Health platform and its ability to prevent hospital readmissions after myocardial infarction. If you're not already getting the idea, Dr. Marvel is quite impressive. She's currently the co-director of the Johns Hopkins Digital Health Lab, but while we all know her as an influential innovator, most of all, Françoise is a kind, humble, and generous friend and peer mentor. Françoise, Dr. Marvel, welcome to CardioNerds.
4: Thank you so much, Karin, for that wonderful and very beautiful and kind introduction. I am a huge fan of cardio nerds, and I am just absolutely delighted to be joining you, Karin, Nino, and Dan, and Dr. Cho, on this really important topic of exploring digital health and how we make dreams happen.
1: Well, Dr. Marvel, thank you so, so much for being here. And absolutely, I do remember the early days of Cardioids. We came to you for your invaluable advice, and you've been such a supporter of the whole enterprise ever since. So thank you. Thank you. It's is really great to finally record with you. You know, before we dive into specific questions, Dr. Cho and Dr. Marvel, could you both share with our audience how you first became interested and involved in digital health innovation? Dr. Cho, why don't you start first and then pass the mic to Dr. Marvel?
0: Sure thing. Happy to start and then pass the imaginary microphone over to Dr. Marvel afterwards. So I guess my journey in cardiovascular innovation probably started relatively late in my training. I was a third-year fellow at UCLA, not really sure where my path was going to go, EP as a specialty for clinical medicine, but I was always thinking about, I wasn't really interested in the traditional means of research and basic lab and grant writing and I wasn't necessarily entirely committed that, you know, my entire productive career was going to be the standard clinical educator track if I stayed academic or, you know, full clinical practice if I went into private practice. And, you know, by chance, I started exploring things in the Anderson Business School, found this course teaching at the time what was the precursor to UCLA's current biodesign program, which was called a MedTech Innovation class. And I just decided to spend some of my research time auditing these classes on my evenings and just started attending them. And it was a year long program that was done quarterly. by the time I had joined, they already scoped out the needs. And so they really, they were assembling the teams to develop business plans, develop potential prototypes, and, you know, really just focusing on that sort of collaborative process. And this was the first time I had really interacted with people outside of my little bubble of medicine with engineers, with MBA students, with art design students from Art College in Pasadena. It was just such a fantastic experience that I decided, hey, I think I would want to do this as a potential career. I have no idea how or how I'm going to involve this or how I'm going to find time for this. But that was really the first time I really felt something clicked and something just felt right as soon as I started. So that's how I first became interested, how I started getting more involved in the digital health innovation. Just to take a step back, I think innovation is a huge umbrella and digital health is also a huge umbrella term. And so for the listeners here, we'll be talking in one example of digital health with Dr. Marvel as she goes with her own experiences. But I just want to remind the audience and all the listeners here that, you know, innovation means different things to different people, as does digital health. And so whatever piques your interest and however it best fits with your interests or personality and what you want to do for a career, keep in mind that it's easy to do that and still stay true to yourself. I'll say the first big step I took in innovation was also by happen chance. I got the email saying council positions are open on the ACC, so I opened the email and I saw something about an innovation council. I saw who was starting it up, which was Dr. John Runsfeld, Malik Majbudar, I believe Sanjeev Alani. All these people I had just started to learn about, and I just threw my hat in the ring and somehow got accepted. Maybe it was my personal statement. Maybe it was my references. I'm not sure, but you know, I think that was the biggest opportunity that I had because that just opened so many doors into meeting people who are doing really cool things. People who are a couple of years ahead of me or similar in training, but were already working on really neat projects, but also career tracks in which I could learn from and one day hope to emulate. And as the years have gone on, you know, I've just been very involved in the committees, very involved in planning future hub, all these other events that we've been having was fortunate enough to become chair. And this all tied around the same time that these quality things opened up at UCLA. And so I feel like just staying true to that initial question was, you know, something seems off with how we give healthcare. That general theme has been pretty much carrying me at least in the first five years of my early career, which is Now I'm getting some traction, I believe, in understanding the need, understanding the stakeholders and understanding some of the levers that need to be moved to actually implement change. So I know I've taken up a lot of time with that question, but I do think the start and the first couple of years is a very important part of the journey that I hope will resonate with some of the listeners. And with that, I'll pass it over to Dr. Marble.
5: What an
4: incredible journey you've been through, Dr. Cho. And I really appreciate that you broaden that definition of what we're discussing today in terms of innovation, digital health, health tech. These are all really important topics within the larger vision and umbrella of trying to make change in healthcare using technologies or using different approaches. And, you know, I want to reflect on my journey because it's different in that it really has a personal note to it. And we all find our way to what our calling is in different ways. And I think I've always been really fascinated with how technology can be an equalizer. It can bring understanding. It can bring connectedness. It can help those who might not have a chance have a chance. And ever since I graduated from undergraduate, I started exploring personal digital assistance, delivering guidelines by using these newfangled technology tools, which are very outdated at this point. And it moved on from there. In medical school, I created my first medical application on a smartphone. As smartphones were becoming more popular and more accessible, I found that this was a really interesting avenue to engage clinicians and help to deliver care in a better and more innovative way. And ultimately, my pathway like I mentioned, became much more personal because unfortunately my father had been diagnosed with a rare cardiovascular disorder out of the blue. And all of a sudden I went from being a doctor and a family member to actually sitting at the bedside with my father who was cared for at Johns Hopkins Hospital where I was doing my training. It was at that moment that I realized what it was like to be a patient how challenging it is to engage and understand all the things that are being shared with us, utmost importance, but through just words and a lot of times difficult words. And that really sparked something inside of me that I thought, I'm going to take the experience and knowledge and curiosity and fascination in how these tools can impact patients. And I'm going to try to apply this to the types of patients that are most affected in the world. As we know, we're all training in cardiology here. We're all cardiologists, we're all cardio nerds. This is affecting a lot of people. And that really began my journey where I had an opportunity to train and start to learn how to develop these tools, specifically smartphone applications, geared towards engaging patients. I had the opportunity to start getting training in a technology-based program called Hexcite at Johns Hopkins, which paired me up with business mentorship, with engineers, with commercial industry partners, with researchers. I had the opportunity to meet one of the most incredible mentors that many of us here have had connection with, my co-founder, Seth Martin. And that really began a journey towards developing a technology that became a centerpiece for helping and driving this passion and dedication I have to really engaging our patients in the guidelines that we often talk about and we can really write up, but really miss the mark in getting delivered to patients in a way that they can understand, which meets them where they're at, and which designs the experience around them and what they want. And so as I started this journey and as I started to get really engaged in developing the Corey application core for heart, And working with wearables, I had the chance to go to Cupertino and work one-on-one with Apple. I mean, what incredible fortune I had to work with engineers, to work with senior attendings in cardiology that have experience in the space, to be hanging out in the same room where iTunes was created. It was where dreams came true, and that's why I mentioned that during the intros. These are the kinds of things you always want to have happen, but until they happen, you just really can't believe it. I hope on this call, as you start to understand why we went into this, why we're looking to make big impact with health tech, digital health, innovation, we want to help you achieve those opportunities for yourself as well, if that's something that you would like to do. So let me pass the mic over and thank you for listening to this podcast and being involved in this technology, digital health, and innovation space.
2: That was so wonderful to hear Dr. Cho and Dr. Marvel. And You know, Dr. Marvel, I've been fortunate to hear your story, your inspiration, and how you've turned it into action many times before. But each time I hear it, I'm just more and more inspired by what you've been able to do. So for the both of you, as anyone that's conducted clinical research or developed an intervention knows, one of the toughest things to do is to come up with that initial question. So maybe I'll start with you, Dr. Cho, and then pass it over to Dr. Marvel. But what general tips would you have for innovators that are listening here today on conceptualizing a digital health solution?
0: Sure. I'm happy to answer that in one sentence. I'm sure Dr. Marvel would agree. Find the need, not the technology. So many people in general, in the world, wherever, try to apply a technological solution and then find it to fit a problem. I cannot cannot stress enough how important finding an actual need is for that. How many pitch competitions I've listened to or been a part of where they go through all these pitches and first question the judges are thinking to themselves are, what's the question? What's the need? Where does this actually fit? And I think that should be any innovators guiding North Star. Just find the need. That's probably 70% of where the effort should be in the initial stages, at least. I don't know if you agree, Dr. Marvel.
4: I 110% agree with you, Dr. Cho. You need to understand where ultimately your solution is going to be making a difference. And one thing that I think is really critical, I mean, think about cardio nerds. You are democratizing education across the world. And you realized the problem was that education was so siloed in all of our institutions And you have unlocked that. And now there are cardio nerds across the world, and you are just encouraging and inspiring young people to enter into medicine, to enter into cardiology, to help people, because you identified that there was a challenge and an issue. Similarly, in technology, there are a lot of people who are trying to create a gizmo, a gadget, an app, technology and then fit it into the space. One of the things that I think is really important to try to figure out the solution and figure out the problem is try to talk to the person who would be using it, or perhaps even your customer who would be buying it. There are a lot of national programs. One example is iCorps, which is a national program where you can have the opportunity to share your solution with end users and potential customers and really see, are you in the process of creating something, investing your time, your energy, your talent, and devoting it to creating this incredible product or solution or idea, but there's no end user for it, or it's not designed in a way that would be helpful. And I'll highlight Nino here because she does incredible work in human-centered design. And that is a crucial part of figuring out If you're addressing the problem and then is the problem addressed in a way that an end user is going to use it? So I think these are some of the key parts that you need to be mindful of. And since Dr. Cho answered this right off the bat, I'm going to expand to one more point. And I think that once you have that problem established, you need to create the simplest version of what you want to do first and get that out there and really test the theory is that achieving The solution and the objectives that you had intended when you first created it, something called the minimal viable product or MVP, that's an important part of this. The problem identification, is the end user going to actually use it or is the customer going to want to buy it? And once you get to the creation stage, keep it simple and test that theory before you go to making it more enhanced and scaling.
0: Dr. can I just add one thing. I think that's such a fantastic overview that you've given about things to consider as you go along the innovation journey. Healthcare, as we all know, is super complicated. There's a lot of stakeholders everywhere. And so as you're discovering the needs, talking to people, patients, providers, I would also encourage listeners here to talk to payers if they have access to talk to different payers. Employers who have sort of risk-sharing plans, what are the costs or the problems that they're facing? What are hospitals facing? What is everybody facing in this weird, complex? interactive organism of healthcare that we have. And I think it'll really give a lot of insight into what the problem is and for whom. And that will also steer a lot of solution development because each different stakeholder may have a potentially different solution needed. And I can also not stress enough, talk to, you know, angel investors, investors, whomever, because I can't tell you how many people are also saying, oh, what a great clinical idea. But then they take it outside the little clinical arena and talk to Non clinicians, and there's a lot of pushback, and I feel as clinicians, there's a lot of, well, why don't they get it? And maybe it's them, maybe it's not me. But I would encourage the listeners to also look in and keep an open mind, because you know they may be telling you something that you have a blind spot to, or you're just not necessarily well versed in. So the more you can talk to people, the more notes you can take, the more you can synthesize all these different observations, then you can, I believe, really start to drill down into where the biggest pain points are for creating the solution. If you already have a solution in mind, you know it's a great way, as Dr. Marvel mentioned, to pressure cook that by bringing it out there, the MVP, testing it, iterating. You know the old plan, do, check, act process. I think is so applicable for this. And you know, I think as Silicon Valley has been sort of mocked in recent years for trying to say they can move fast and break things in healthcare, and finding that that's not the case. It so too that will be the case for any innovators or future innovators listening to this podcast as well.
3: Thank you very much, Dr. Cho and Dr. Merrill. This was incredibly helpful, hopefully for our listeners. And thanks for highlighting the importance of including key stakeholders in the process of development of the interventions as we are thinking about creating solutions to meet the needs of the end users. I also want to kind of expand on human-centered design. And Dr. Merrill, I know we have kind of worked in this space together. What are your thoughts on how can we include diverse patients, their family members, and clinicians in this process? And what do you think this adds to the process? And how can this help to design interventions to promote health equity?
4: I might start first with that because I've had the incredible pleasure of working with you, Nino. You are a expert on the topic. And I would say what you do first is whoever is enjoying this podcast currently, you can go to PubMed and search for Nino's iDesign paper and learn more about the design process through an expert who's really asking me questions. So I'm quite humbled. But you know, really, Nino, learning from you on this, I'm picking up highlights from a chapter in your book. This is actually what I honed in on in the beginning, the beauty and the promise of digital health is that it can reach the masses. It is not kept within brick and mortar. It is not available only if you can afford parking. It is available to anyone who can get their hands on technology and who is eager to learn and experience it. And therefore... We do not want to make the same mistake that we've done in clinical trials historically, where we've unfortunately only included a certain phenotype. We want to work on reaching out to the community. And as we discussed, Dan, you, I, Dr. Martin, and we were lucky to have Dr. Le Princess Brewer joining us, we talked about bridging that digital divide by inclusion of our underserved, underrepresented minority community members, more women, more of the people who oftentimes aren't getting the opportunity to be involved in the development of other therapeutics. And I think the way we get started with that Is by the way that you modeled creating a human design program within our American Heart Association Health Tech Innovation Network here at Johns Hopkins, where you created incredible opportunities of a focused approach to making sure that you brought in the right diversity within the patients you were bringing in for focus groups. So you intentionally made sure that there was the right ratio and the right diversity within the people you are bringing in to review the technology. And that is commendable. And that is the future. I am delighted, Nino, that you're in this space with all of us and that you're carrying out that vision in real time right now and in the future. So I'm just lucky to be working with you.
3: Wow, Francois, you summarized this in such an eloquent way. And thank you for explaining this so eloquently for our listeners. And uh, we hope that as we go and develop digital health intervention, you know, our listeners will incorporate Dr. Cho, your and Dr. Marvel, your advice here.
2: Now, let's say one of our listeners has developed some momentum around an idea that they're building a team. They're involving patients early in the process, and they're soliciting feedback from various stakeholders. As the solution is growing, Dr. Cho, what are some important aspects of intellectual property rights or other regulatory measures that innovators should be aware of? And I know that's a broad question, but maybe you could touch upon broadly what can constitute intellectual property and how that applies to the members of the team.
0: Certainly for all the listeners here, not an IP expert, but I am very familiar with some of the resources that they can learn from, but also some tidbits to keep in mind. I think the general rule of thumb is if it's a product that's different than software, not saying that software can't be necessarily patented. In general, I would say there are some of the larger digital health companies that you may be seeing out there may not necessarily have a strong IP portfolio off the back. A lot of that may develop as they develop more users on their platform, gain more data and are able to make more sophisticated, potentially proprietary solutions that are potentially patentable. There's a whole world out there of something called trade secrets as well, which is some of the largest tech companies use that as part of their IP strategy in which, you know, that's their trade secret, their secret sauce. You don't know what I have and nor will I tell you, and it will be up to you to try to replicate or reverse engineer that which is not necessarily falling under a general patent rule. I will say that earlier that people can involve different stakeholders in terms of the IP regulatory space, that would be my recommendation is to start early. And there are different programs and resources out there. The FDA has recently been getting into the space a little bit more, and there is a new program for the listeners You can Google it. It's called the Total Product Lifecycle Advisory Program, or TAP for short. And it's basically meant to help partner with the FDA early on in your journey to help enroll people, create the dialogue, and provide feedback so that you are going along the right regulatory strategy. They may not necessarily give you advice on the IP strategy, but at least from the regulatory standpoint, it's a new program that they realize there should be a structured type of program. Now, for a lot of the innovators out there as well, I know Dr. Marvel mentioned the ICORE program. There are governmental programs, the NHLBI, SBI, our application comes to mind as one of those. And those programs offer sort of areas of non dilutive seed or earlier stage funding in the millions of dollars, depending on what stage you're at. But that also gives you a wide access, I suppose, into their network of advisors who have deep experience in this field. They've worked with us extensively at the ACC and they've hosted different panels. And it's really a great resource because they have experts in IP regulatory strategy, fundraising, clinical trial design, all these wonderful tools that are available. And it's one of the reasons why we got so excited to do this partnership for the ACC innovation section with the Future Hub and all these other things that we do is that it was such a great resource, but not a lot of people knew about it. So if that somewhat answers the question, at least it may help the listeners be aware of certain programs that are available for them to explore the regulatory and the IP landscape. But always, those lectures are really good and there's a lot of good basics, I would say, one-on-one stuff out there on the internet. YouTube is still a great resource, as are really just talking to your technology development centers. If you are at a academic system, there's a whole bunch of stuff with translational departments or every university has one tech transfer who can also get that process started, get some information there and connect you with people who may be able to answer the questions that are very specific to your solution.
4: Yeah, that was really well stated, Dr. Cho. And I don't have too much more to add. I will just mention from my own experience, I did the Hexite program that was offered through Johns Hopkins, which focused on being essentially like a mini version of like the Y Combinator program. These large programs that really take startups in and you kind of churn through regulatory, all the legal pieces, copyright, trademark. Can your algorithm be patented? Should your strategy go to market? It's all new to us. We're cardiologists, right? But it's a language and a skill set that you can learn. And just like you learned how to do coronary angiographies, and I'm speaking specifically to Dan here, you know, our Nino is in the EP lab, or Karin's there doing echoes. David's seeing patients are doing wonderful job taking care of hearts. At the end of the day, It's a skill set. It's a different language, and there are parts of it that you need to get fluent and proficient in so that you can protect your very valuable IP and learn what it means to have a conversation that is gonna require a non-disclosure agreement or NDA, learning about how to make sure that you're filing the right paperwork to help protect that, whether that's an invention disclosure form at your university, or perhaps you decide to create your invention outside of the university space. So these are all things that can be explored. And like Dr. Cho mentioned, if you're tuning in and you're an academic setting, there are commercial mentorship programs through JHTV. You might also be at a setting that has these opportunities to do accelerators or boot camps that can help you get up to speed with these. So be curious, get hungry, check it out. You can do it. I was a total novice and I figured out how to start a company. You can do it, too.
3: Thank you, Dr. Show and Marvel, for sharing this absolutely useful information and critical steps for innovators across the board. From both of your experience, what are some common pitfalls that digital health innovators should avoid? You may speak from your experience or want to share kind of some general concept in this area. Dr. Cho, we can start with you.
0: Common pitfalls, I mean, we mentioned earlier, don't create a solution and then find a need is probably number one, number two, number three. I think the other thing is to not consider, once you are far along enough, involving the FDA early. I know they have their TAP program, they had a different program early. They do give a lot of feedback early on and they would be able to save a lot of time and a lot of the common mistakes. And so when the FDA is even telling you, engage us early, we wanna be part of the process so that we can be more efficient with both of our times I would say listen to the FDA and involve them early. I think the other common pitfall, which I mentioned a little bit earlier, was not stress testing the idea outside of its own silo. So, for example, I went through the UCLA biodesign program as faculty. I was a little bit more involved than just like an accelerator. I got a special program to be able to do it for a year, which was a fantastic opportunity. And I would highlight that to the listeners Time is your biggest asset, so you know that could be a pitfall. Time management, don't try to do too much and you have to be realistic with the time limitations that you have. Not everyone needs to take a whole year off to necessarily do all this kind of stuff, but I will say you do need time and you do need to find ways to make time if it's not during your day hours, whether it's the nights and the weekends, which gets harder the older you get. Time management is a critical skill if you are really trying to innovate in this space. But I will say having gone through that program, Really bringing these ideas and these needs outward to business people in healthcare, healthcare leaders, payers, and having them essentially tear it to shreds, and then you go back and you rework it, and then they tear it to shreds, maybe a little bit less this time. Having that continued feedback, yet also finding the way to be able to trust your gut because just like 10 people, 10 different things, you'll get 10 different answers and you may not necessarily have that. But really trying to be wise about how to incorporate the feedback while staying true to your vision, I think is another pitfall that the listeners can hopefully avoid. I think that sometimes there's also paralysis by analysis, where, as Dr. Marvel mentioned, just pick something, iterate it, take it out there. If it doesn't work, bring it back. Experience is your best teacher. And so if you aren't going to put yourself or your product or your solution out there to test it, it's going to be stagnant and it's probably not going to develop as fast as you'd like it.
4: Such wisdom from Dr. Cho. It's so hard to follow, but I'll try You know, I think this is a really great question because a lot of times we have this really sort of romanticized view of startups and cool company and tech is so hot. This stuff is great. It's at the end of the day, incredible, super impactful. But you have to make sure that you are fully committed and fully dedicated. So the pitfall that I want to emphasize here, the people that you engage on your team, think about the cardio nerds. You guys are all stars. It's an incredible group of people who you love spending time with. We're here tonight hanging out. You guys are incredible. You've created an incredible product solution that is scaling across the world. And you work together in a really committed and in a fully trustworthy and you guys deliver and execute. And that is what you need. A pitfall is if you decide you're going to take a journey with someone that you're not 100% sure is going to have that level of craftsmanship with what you're creating, with knowledge, with resilience, with persistence, because as you start the journey and you get tested, which you will, thousands more fails than wins on this journey. You need to know that who's next to you will stand by you, will help to pick you up when you're feeling a little challenge. Get it to the finish line. And I couldn't be more grateful for my co-founders and team and, you know, Nino, incredibly, I mean, what she's done with Corey Health and all the things that we're doing, just another incredible talent I'm so grateful for every day. Seth Martin, Matthias Lee, my co-founders, I couldn't imagine taking this journey with anyone else. I highlight that the pitfall would be, yes, have people come onto the team that you realize that's not the right fit. You've got to deal with those things. You've got to have a strong team and move it forward. I think the other thing is that you've got to be brave. This is definitely an area where you're going to be trailblazing. Not a lot of people have created a podcast that's going across the world that is centerpiece at some of the top institutions in cardiology in the world. But Dan, Karin, Nino, Amit, the whole Cardio Nerds team, you guys took a chance. And it's saving lives. It's changing lives. But you have to be brave. You have to go for it. And you have to think big. I remember we were actually standing in the hall together, Dan and I talking about his vision, and I could just see from all the people he was engaging for his team, for Amit, the whole crew, like this was going to go global. And if you think big from the beginning, you'll be prepared. You'll start making sure that IP is protected. You'll start mapping out your vision. So be ready for it. Otherwise, you might be surprised with challenges that come your way because operationally you might not have been ready for it. Maybe I'll add one last thing, just because I think that we're cardiologists, we're within professional societies, but those professional societies have incredible opportunities for commercialization, innovation and supporting us. ACC innovation, making sure that there's opportunities for entrepreneurialism. AHA also has incredible health tech and innovation potential. So just stay connected with those opportunities and continue to grow.
1: Wow. Thank you so much, Francoise. And I'm definitely almost speechless, which is a rare thing for me. And I can definitely remember that hallway conversation where you said, think big, and we did. And I completely agree with you that when you take this journey in an innovative land, you need somebody that's going to be complimentary and you need somebody that's going to be a partner. And Ahmed and I basically talk about this all the time. And we say that, you know, one of the cardio recipes for success is you have to have a mission and you have to have the people. And so if you surround yourself with people who are like-minded and interested in the mission, or I would say jazzed about your mission, the sky is truly the limit. You know, as physician innovators, we're simultaneously excited about innovation and design research into the clinical applications, the hope of improving real clinical outcomes and possibly remuneration for the effort invested in establishing meaningful solutions. There is certainly a degree of altruism in aiming for greater good and going through training, and sometimes it's easy to undervalue personal finances. But we must also be practical and smart. So how does one work towards a model that provides fair monetary support for effort spent, and is there any potential conflicts of interest if one is directly involved with investigating a product or a solution that may bring financial gain?
4: Absolutely. This is an important question because there's a lot of opportunity to financially benefit from some of these life-changing, even life-saving tools that we're developing within digital health. I think that we have to acknowledge that digital health and health technology exists in a sphere that includes industry that includes consumer interest, that includes commercialization and fast paced development. And if we wanna be a part of developing these tools, of testing these tools, of inventing these tools for our patients, We need to be comfortable with the fact that there is going to be a level of conflict of interest between those things that we have financial interest in, whether we invented it, for example, with Corey Hell, I am an inventor. I am a co-founder. I am also involved in research, but I very early on was able to share my conflict of interest with the Johns Hopkins team and legal team so that I can comfortably participate in different activities, but not be consenting patients or making sure that any publications or presentations I do are clearly transparent around some of the financial gain that I could get from some of this work. If we want to make a difference in digital health, health tech, and innovation, we must become comfortable in this space. It's just as though you created a molecule that turns into a medication that's shown to help reduce coronary artery disease and plaque development and ultimately save patients from heart attacks. We are now creating tools that have that same impact. It's no different than being connected with the same level of work and effort and innovation and talent and creativity that is done on a bench, in a lab, with petri dishes, with cells. Here we're working with different types of materials, but with ultimately the same goal for gain. Improve our patients' lives. Help our patients survive. Help our patients live healthier and longer lives. We are all here because we want to help patients. I don't think that any of us have the intention of becoming billionaires because we're taking care of patients, we're coming up with ways to improve education, we're delivering frontline care. So I think as long as we're open, we keep these conversations transparent and we make sure that everyone, our patients, our colleagues, industry commercial, our academic employers, everyone knows what we're doing, where our interests are, and at the end of the day, what matters most to us. And that's definitely helping the patient.
0: That was well said and wonderfully said, rather. And now I get to know what it's like to go second and to follow where it's hard to add on to that. I think for me and several colleagues that I've met in this sort of innovation journey, I'm realizing that, as I said earlier, innovation means so much to many different people. And I think for the listeners here, Examining what kind of role you would like to have in whatever product or solution that you are either generating or testing, really thinking about what's your role. Am I the founder of this? Am I an external company that I've created from this? Am I just an advisor for one of these companies? Am I trying to be a principal investigator for these companies? I think that because it's such a nebulous term of what innovation means to everyone and everyone has different career paths, not even career paths, but even chapters within their own career journeys... Really sort of thinking about what kind of role you'd like to play and at which touch point may help sort of sort out this question about balancing altruism with remuneration. Like, for example, I think one of my mentors early on used the term, you know, I'm interested in cool things and digital health applications being studied into patients and how they affect outcomes, which is really more of like a, as he called it, podiums and papers career track, where it wasn't so much about the remuneration. It was about the research, about the career, about the joy that he developed from that. And as his seniority grew and his experience grew and his traction grew, he mentioned that he wanted to switch to a different track, a product development track, and then being more external looking in. So I think... Keeping out where you are in this ecosystem and what you want to get out of each stage is very important for the listeners here to really just look inward and reflect upon where they feel they're at their stage and where they can best utilize their time and talents. I think one of the other things is academic systems and maybe large healthcare systems have also run into when trying to partner with these other companies. And this kind of Paul is more of an indirect remuneration, but for any IP that's generated using this partnership model, if you are sort of an investigator... There are thorny questions that will come up with, well, if you generate IP using our patient data, who gets what? Do we own it? Do we take a state? Like what happens? And so that can be very tricky. And lastly, just to touch on the conflict of interest, it is a tricky thing when you are a founder of a company and trying to test out ideas within the research internally. Kudos to Dr. Marvel for, one, disclosing early being transparent, not just internally, but on the publications, outward facing as well. I know from personal experience, at least not just with myself, but with other colleagues, that there have been some authority issues that come up in IRB with faculty who are either advisors or founders of some startup or external company. And trying to bring it internally, they've been excluded from serving as principal investigators or study members within the study itself. So it's almost like you have to create this idea, create this product and be like, hey, I want to bring this in and test it or you're an advisor for a company, I want to test it. But rightfully so, then you have to let that go to be tested internally with your colleagues your trusted coworkers to try to remove as much of your own personal bias to wish to see it succeed. Because I don't think there's any way you can untether wanting to see something that you believe in so strongly to succeed. So a lot of barriers, a lot of thoughts about, you know, conflicts of interest and where you fall into this giant food chain. But hopefully what I just explained may help some of the listeners who may find themselves stuck in the middle of some potentially thorny situations.
3: Well, thank you, Dr. Barbola and Dr. Cho for sharing this incredible insights regarding managing the IP rights and conflict of interest. And overall, this has been an amazing discussion, almost like a crash course combining medicine, business, and engineering. As we are close to the finish line for the recording today, what final advice would you give future digital health innovators listening to the episode today? I know you already gave a lot of great advice, maybe just in a few words to summarize.
4: Thank you, Nino. For those who are listening to us in our discussion tonight and you have that idea, you're thinking about it, you're sitting there, you're starting to make some notes, you're searching online about certain things, you're looking for faculty who could mentor you. Believe in yourself. Be brave. You're going to be a catalyst for change that is going to change the way that cardiology is practiced, that the way that patients receive their care. Think about Dan and Amit, Karin and Nino. They might have just been bubbling up ideas, thinking of ideas all of a sudden. Now you have cardio nerds. Now you have human-centered design. Now you have a new digital health coming out in AFib. My point is that we're doing this at early stages in our training, in our careers, because we're so curious, we're so fascinated, we're so eager to help make a change in our patients' lives. Maybe you see those guidelines out there and you're thinking to yourself, I just want to get that in action faster. And I have an idea. Well, when you listen to this, I hope that you sit down and you tell yourself, I'm going to go for it because we know you can.
0: Those are very wise words, Dr. Marvel. I will just follow that up with one of my favorite quotes, which I just learned from Jalen Hurts, my Philadelphia Eagles quarterback. But I love the quote. He says, I had a purpose before anyone had an opinion. And so I feel that's true for anyone who really wants something and is true to their North Star, true to their purpose, which is, you know, I want to do this. I believe I can do this and I'm going to do this. You're going to fail. You're going to have setbacks. Everyone's had setbacks. Even now, like as you get older, I don't think those will never go away, but The ability to deal with them, learn from them and grow from them only gets easier as you get older. What gets harder when you're older is time or available time. I'm speaking as a parent of two young children. You know, for the cardio nerds audience out there, you know, everyone here started early in their fellowship. Not saying that if you finish fellowship in your practice position that you're too late to the game, but there is definitely an advantage to starting early, exploring early. And when you're a trainee, you can ask as many questions as you want and people will say, you know, take advantage of that altruism. Say, I'm a trainee. I just want to know because once you become older, then it comes a little bit different and time is not necessarily on your side. In terms of access to individuals, I feel that so much of what I was able to learn early in the journey was just me saying, hey, I'm a fellow interested in this. And I want to talk. and I want to pick your brain. I want to learn from you. And the openness and receptiveness of that was just so eye-opening to me. I don't know how to describe it. It was just shocking to me how willing people were to take their precious time to talk to me. This guy who's, you know, just I'm interested in this. And they would talk to me and they'd give me advice and then they would connect me with another person. What are you interested in? They'd offer mentorship and we just kept in touch. And I really feel that for the innovators, just the early bird gets the worm and don't be afraid to ask questions and don't be afraid to face setbacks. It's all part of the process and everyone goes through it
3: you both mentioned, and I think this will help hopefully our listeners. I remember initially when I was thinking, you know, in the early days for DHA, for ETH, you know, I was told that it's not possible. Like, you know, we're not in Silicon Valley, et cetera. And I was like outside and Francis was like, don't listen to anybody. Yeah. I, I was,
4: totally remember that, Nino.
3: So yeah, it's great that both of you highlighted that, you know, persistence and perseverance is so important.
2: You know, this episode, I don't know how you could walk away not being inspired. And I feel like Dr. Marvel and Dr. Cho said, go around the country just inspiring not only digital health innovators, but I wonder if I just played Dr. Marvel, and Dr. Cho saying, don't worry about setbacks, be brave, be inspired. I probably would work out much stronger at the gym as well. So in all seriousness, you know, there were so many pearls in this episode. And I walked away with one major take home point is that have a mission and commit to it. So for all the Cardiners that were listening today, so many pearls here. Hopefully you'll take another listen just to process all of them. Just wanna take one final moment to thank Dr. Marvel and Dr. Cho for joining us today.
4: Thank you, Karin, Nino, and Dan for having us. And it's as always a pleasure, Dr. Cho, to be collaborating with you in the innovation, digital health, and health tech space. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you so much, everyone. The innovation community is growing, but it is still a small community.
5: Thanks for tuning in to another CardioNerds episode. The audio editing for this episode was performed by me, Shivani Reddy. I'm an intern in the CardioNerds Academy House Einthoven and a fourth year medical student at Western Michigan University School of Medicine. I invite you to check out the episode page for show notes and references. If you found this episode informative, please consider subscribing to CardioNerds on your favorite podcast platform and leaving us a review. It helps us spread the word and further our goal to democratize cardiovascular education. Finally, this podcast is not meant to be used for medical advice. The views expressed on our show and site do not reflect the opinions or policies of our employers all cardio nerds content is planned produced and reviewed solely by cardio nerds stay tuned for more engaging conversations and explorations in our upcoming episodes and now it's time to make like an s2 and split